Hey, sis. Welcome to this week's episode of Grown Woman Stuff with me, Julie Jones. I know it's been a minute. I took me a sabbatical because I just had a lot going on and I needed to kind of regroup. But I'm back with an episode I previously recorded with licensed marriage and family therapist Nadira Habibula on Sis. It's toxic, identifying unhealthy and abusive relationships. As we wrap up the year 2023, we make so many goals and we look back to see if we achieve them. But one thing we need to do is make relationship goals. And I'm not talking about those hashtag moments on Instagram with you and your boo thing hugged up and people want to be like y'all. No, I'm talking about seriously asking yourself what relationships are healthy for you to continue in or even navigate with as we go into 2024. Now, I understand sometimes you just can't pack up and leave your job because you work with somebody toxic, you got to work through it or at least keep a foul in case you got to sue one day. (laughs) But examine your friendships, relationships within organizations, including church folk, because some of the saints can be a trip. Can I get an amen? And of course, your romantic relationships as well. Things like gaslighting, stonewalling, verbal abuse. They may not leave bruises on your body per se, but they are abusive to who you are. So lean into today's chat on It's Toxic Sis, Identifying Unhealthy and Abusive Relationships with Nadira Habibullah. All right, welcome into this week's episode of Grow Woman Stuff with me, Julie Jones. And we have our returning guest. I like to consider her one of our residential therapists, Nadira Habibullah, a licensed family marriage therapist, as well as attachment and trauma therapy. Check her out at healinghertrauma.com as we discuss them toxic relationships, child. How you doing today, Nadira? I'm doing really well. How are you? Doing wonderful. I see you are doing great. Congratulations on the new fancy office space. You are really doing some things. Thank you. Yeah, I really like it. The place that I was at before was like super nice and homey. Mm -hmm. So when I got this, I was like, I have to create that same feel. Yes, absolutely here for it. So you and I have talked several times about various topics. But as we have talked, I was talking to Jessica McClellan not too long ago, and we kind of touched on emotional abuse. And that got me to thinking about digging deep into toxic relationships. Now, Nadira, you know, we talk about toxicity. It's like one of the buzzwords of the year. But the fact is that relationships can be toxic, which is a form of emotional abuse. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people think of abuse, they go automatically to physical abuse, which for sure is a thing. But there are all types of abuse that don't involve Mm -hmm. any type of hitting, but it's just as damaging. Now, what are some of those abuses, Nadira? Because I'm I'm with you. Growing up, you heard about violence and domestic violence, but no one told you about verbal abuse or mental abuse or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's verbal abuse, and that's more common. That's, you know, if someone's Mm -hmm. speaking really harshly with you, you know, they're calling you out of their name. They're just saying really mean, harsh things. But sometimes even like, for example, financial abuse. Mm -hmm. So, there, like, let's say if maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or something and you don't have a job, you're depending solely on this other person and they're barely giving you any money or you don't have your own uh, bank account or you don't have access to their money, you don't know what's going on, and they're just kind of like keeping you on a tight leash. You know, that's going to be financial abuse. Or sometimes even mm-hmm. mental mental abuse can be, of course, verbal abuse will fit in that category, but it could be different because the person may not be yelling at you. They may mm. not be calling you names, but they can be doing things over time that really break down your self-image. 
And we're going to dig into that. So I'm so glad you brought that up. But as we talk about toxic relationships, Nadira, I always say, if you feel worse when you walk away from somebody, that's probably someone you don't need to be in relationship with or you just have dread in their presence. As a therapist, what would you define as a toxic relationship? Well, I I would say a toxic relationship, um, it is one that repeatedly, consistently, like you said, leaves you feeling worse, but also brings out the worst part of you. So mm. like, you know, sometimes people will be in relationships and they'll say, oh, with this person, man, we fight so much. I'm screaming. I'm cussing at him. I'm I've hit like sometimes people will say we've gotten physical fights and I've never done that with anybody else. Like mm. that that's a sign that means something that this part of you that is needing to fight and to yell and be so aggressive is showing up with this person has never shown up before. Like something is wrong there. Now, outside of romantic relationships, Nadira, how does toxicity show up, whether it's parent-child or even in power structures from corporate America to faith-based organizations? What are signs of that toxicity? I mean, yeah, it can show up in, in any type of relationship, especially if it's a relationship that is important or that is close. Mm. So, you know, usually people aren't going to feel like, oh, the relationships that you just have, they're just on the periphery, people you know here and there, because you're not even close enough for there to be anything that could be toxic. But with the people that you work with or, you know, the, mm-hmm. the people that at our uh, organizations that you volunteer at, it can very much show up because once we get close to people, there's a certain type of vulnerability that like automatically shows up in the relationship. And so, Sometimes, like, for example, you're saying, what can that look like in the workplace? If you have a boss or someone else who holds a level of power over you, who's mistreating you, like talking to you in an inappropriate way. And this could be like calling you names or even sexual advances. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, those things type of happen. Those types of things happen, too. Or um, putting extra demands on your time, things that aren't included within your work description or whatever your task is. But expecting you to do more, more than Mm -hmm. what you would normally do or more than what you'd agree to do up front um, or just being sneaky, doing things behind your back, lying on Like it's all types of ways that that toxicity shows up in like worker professional environments. And what role can we talk about the word narcissism? I've been hearing that a lot lately, too. And sometimes I think the meaning can be a little cloudy. How would you define narcissism and how is that impacting relationships, thus making them toxic as all get out? Yeah, so that's one of those buzzwords, you know, Mm -hmm. different ones go and come. And so for sure, like now so many people talk about, oh, such and such is is a narcissist. And so most people, uh, when we talk about like that's an actual diagnosis, like narcissistic personality Mm -hmm. disorder, most people are not going to fit the criteria for personality disorder. But now just having narcissistic traits. Now, that's another thing. I mean, most people are going to have some level of narcissistic traits. Um, And even there's a healthy level of narcissism. So, you know, a lot of people don't think about that, but it's just like the idea of being able to center yourself and consider yourself at appropriate times. Okay, That's a good thing. That would be a healthy level of narcissism. But a lot of times when people are calling someone else narcissistic, they're usually just saying that, oh, I feel like that person is very self-centered or that they're Mm -hmm. always thinking of themselves or trying to make themselves look better. Um, I mean, which would fit the, the general criteria, but it doesn't make the make the person narcissistic, like in that more clinical sense. 
Now, what are some of those unhealthy narcissistic traits? Because there could be somebody, Nadira, that don't realize, okay, that could be me. Or even people we're in close relationship with, you think that's just how they are and you're so used mm-hmm. to them. And you kind of put up with it out of obligation or respect and let's say even love. So what are some of those traits that could open our eyes to knowing whether if we are on the receiving end or we are the giver of unhealthy narcissistic traits? Yeah, so so traits will look like uh, like an inability to handle any type of criticism or like, you know, hold yourself accountable. So if something goes wrong and it's because I did it, I forgot to pick up the thing, I forgot to do the thing. But when you say, hey, Nadir, you got that wrong, I automatically flip it into something that's about you. Well, no, it was your fault because you should have called me or you should have made me do this or it was so-and-so's fault or it wasn't on me. But just having, it's like a really fragile ego. It's a really fragile sense of self. And people don't always um, think of that because usually a, a person who has a lot of narcissistic traits, they're usually going to present as though they're very solid, they're very charismatic, they're very kind, they get people to like like them, they make usually very like funny and things like that. But underneath that is usually a very um, like shaky sense of self, mm-hmm. which is where the narcissism comes from. It's kind of like a, a front. Like, I don't want you to see that I feel like this mm-hmm. really small, insignificant person. So I'm going to put on this mask and act like I'm so great and I'm so wonderful. But anytime you push into that a little bit, if you try to hold me accountable, or even if you give me some helpful criticism, mm-hmm. it usually doesn't doesn't go well. Like that's where wow. you can see the trait because it's like, I actually don't think I'm as great as I'm presenting. And so when you start to say things to me, things that maybe I should work on or things that I should do better, that hurts me a lot. And so I'm going to get upset or I'm going to flip it on you or I'm going to try to dime, downplay it or I might try to gaslight you or whatever it is. But I'm trying not to let you see that I really don't have a good sense of self. Ooh, and we're going to circle back to that gaslight. You have it. You must have read my mind. See, that's why you the licensed family marriage therapist, <laughs> dear, because you be knowing stuff. But when it comes to the person who is narcissistic, what role does trauma often play in that? I would say I would say it always they're going to play some type of role. And just because I mean, like my my general belief about people is that unless there, you know, sometimes there are just differences in the brain and stuff. But in general, we come out good and pure and good. Like when we when we come out of the womb, but it is the environments that we're in that will change us and make us something other than that. So lots of people, if you've got narcissistic personality disorder, probably any type of personality disorder, I would imagine you came from some type of environment where it felt necessary. It perceived, I don't know if it really was, but the perception for the person was that I need to be this way. So like maybe you grew up in an environment that was very critical Mm -hmm. and maybe it was your parents always, you know, pointing out what you're doing wrong and never really building you up and never saying that they're proud of you. Or maybe you just felt very ignored or you felt like you didn't matter as much, you know? And Mm -hmm. so you can be more likely to, develop the shell that you have to present. Oh, well, if I'm going to be accepted, if anybody's going to like me in this world, I have to be this way. I have to be bigger than life and I have to always be right. And I have to be like that because like at some point that was their survival tactic for the world. And it was probably in their earlier childhood. They felt like I have to be this way if I'm going to be accepted. So then that carries over. Okay. Now you're an attachment and trauma therapist. What exactly is attachment and how does that impact whether or not you are in or pursue healthy relationships? So attachment is is such a big thing. And so like, you know, 
overall, you know, they would say the three basic types of attachment is there's a healthy, secure attachment, which is what we want, what we're going for. But then there are also different types of insecure attachment. And so there's like, you know, an avoidant attachment or there's um, what's the other word, the, a more anxious attachment. And so the two of those. And then there's also another one that's called like disorganized or fearful, but that's less common. A lot of people are either going to be secure, avoidant, or anxious. And basically that comes from, again, when you're growing up, if you have a secure attachment, it means you were treated, you were in an, an environment where you were able to believe that like, I am okay and the people around me are okay. So if mm -hmm. I have a need, I can ask for it. If I'm okay. a baby, I can cry, I can do whatever it is, and the people will respond to me. And I trust that it's okay for me to express this need, and I trust that the other people will see that and they will respond to me. So if we get that growing up, then most likely we're going to grow grow up, reach adulthood, and we will have a secure attachment, which just me means that I believe that I can go out into the world and ask for what I need, and I can trust that other people will mm. meet that need. That's ideal. That's what we want. Mm. Now, the different types of insecure attachment, if you have a more avoidant attachment, maybe you grew up in an environment where your parents weren't as responsive, maybe because they just worked all the time, or maybe they had some other... Maybe they just weren't really present. And so you felt ignored a lot. And so it got to the point where that young child felt like, you know what, it it doesn't even matter if, if I cry or if I ask for anything because I can't trust that you're going to meet my need. And so because I can't trust that other people in the world are going to be safe, I'm just going to avoid intimacy. I'm just going to avoid even wow. asking for what I need because I learned early that I can't get it. So that's where the name avoidant comes from. And so, you know, avoidant people, when they get older, mm -hmm. they usually move away. Like they might date you, they, they might even marry you, but you'll just notice like, it's just something different. It's like you're there, but you're not there. Or they, you know, they mm, pull away very okay. easily. They um, don't like to have a lot of in intimacy. So like, for example, they may be very much into sex, but they may not be into foreplay or cuddling or just other types of things, you know, that can feel mm -hmm. more intimate than sex sometimes. So you know, so that's the idea behind avoiding. I learned in early in life that like I can't trust other people to meet my emotional needs. So I'm not even going to seek to make an emotional connection. And then on the other side, um, anxious attachment would be this person got their needs met some of the time, but it wasn't consistent. And so now they became anxious. So now instead of believing okay. that, like, I can't trust the world out there, they're thinking it's like, well, I can't trust myself. So these people are usually going to be more clingy. They're usually going to have a higher need. Um, these might be the people that, like, you know, might call you 10 times over and over, or might say, well, do you like me? Why do you feel about me? Do you love me? They just need a lot of reassurance because they didn't get enough before to be able to trust that, like, I'm okay. I'm worthy of love. I'm good enough. If somebody likes me, of course they'll like mm -hmm. me. Why wouldn't they like right. me? But it's like they kind of, the love that they got was kind of like intermittent off and on. And so now they're feeling like, well, well, I think he likes me, but I don't know. Well, let me, well, let me check in. And so that's where like that clinginess comes mm. from because it's like, well, I want you to love me, but I don't know if I'm love enough for you to love. And so, you know, so, and these are the basic attachment styles okay. and lots of times avoidant people and anxious people end up together. And so Lord that, Jesus. That's, that's just, Ooh. yeah, that's just how Ooh. it happens because the avoidant person need someone to avoid an anxious person needs someone to pursue. And so that's how they mm. end up together. And end up in a toxic relationship that they got to call you in the deer because you heal yeah, it's trauma. It's, it's really, really difficult. But so, so that's why, like when I say that 
I am an attachment therapist. Like I'm taking all of that into consideration. Then I'm also um, just really prioritizing the attachment that I have with the client because that that really matters. Like the way that you connect with me, mm-hmm. the way that, that we develop our relationship, it really matters because, you know, a big part of the healing, whatever it is that needs to be healed, it is going to happen within the context of relationships. And so, um, so, you know, I, I feel pretty close to my clients because that's something yeah. that's important and I think it's helpful in the process. You just gave me some things I didn't even know. Wow, how, how powerful is that? And I imagine whatever your uh, attachment style, like what you just said, you bring that into your relationship or it affects who you pick. Which mm-hmm. which is so wild because there's probably people I imagine, Adir, who don't realize that's why the relationship is not the healthiest it could be and there's toxicity. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us don't know that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think like in recent years, attachment is getting more popular and so people are starting to realize it um, and read books on it. But a lot of people overall still just don't know that it's a thing or what it is. And so you might get, so for example, a person with a more anxious attachment style might get into relationships and they find that they might like, you know, start and burn really bright and hot really fast, but then they kind of fizzle out. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's because like the other person may feel smothered by them because they may be like, you know, trying to cling on too much. And so, and they don't know what's going on and they'll say, well, you know, I can meet people, but I can't keep them. I don't know what's going on and not realizing that part okay. of it is the way that they're showing up in the relationship. Now, as you talk about avoidance, I want to talk about it from another perspective, because Nadira, is it unhealthy to avoid conflict? Because one thing I've learned about myself, now I can be about that life, but Julie, you get it, just depends on the moment. But Mm -hmm. there have been times where I realize in past relationships and even in my marriage where I try to avoid conflict. And I don't necessarily know that that is healthy either, because either you hold stuff in or because you're just trying to keep the peace and make sure somebody else is okay, you neglect your own need to say, hey, woo, I got an issue and I need you to hear this. Yeah, so avoiding conflict in general is not a problem. Actually, it okay. makes sense sometimes because mm-hmm. you could be in an environment, like maybe something goes wrong, but it's tons of people around or you know, it's just a kind of a tense environment. And you're like, well, if I bring this up now, it's, you know, it's just gonna make it worse. So maybe you're going to invite it or sometimes, I mean, you're going to avoid it because it may not be the right time mm-hmm. or it may not be worth it. You know, maybe like you okay. have a potential uh, potential conflict with a person that is kind of inconsequential to you. You know, you know what, let me just walk away from this because, you know, I may never see you again and you're not important. So just to avoid conflict okay. in general is not a bad thing. Now, if we're consistently avoiding conflict and if we're consistently avoiding it with people who are important to us, so people we have to come back and interact with again and again, now that's going to be a problem because whatever it was that was causing the conflict is not going to go away. And so it's usually just going to sit there and build up and then we can be more resentful, which, you know, resentment is really just yeah. going to eat away at a relationship. So we don't want to consistently avoid conflict, but sometimes in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, it may make sense to avoid it. Okay. And circle back later. I'd be like, I'm gonna watch this show, but I'm gonna circle back later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes just based on what you're feeling in the moment. Yeah. Like maybe there's some conflict, but I'm just really, really upset. And I know like if I address this right now, I'm going to probably act real crazy. And yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. In that case, you know, <laughs> it would be better. Let me just avoid this. Let me go check on myself. <laughs> Let me get regulated. And then I can come back and speak to it when like I'm more level headed. That makes perfect sense. All right. Love to hear that. Now, you mentioned this word earlier. And once again, because you are a therapist, 
You got to know this was coming into the topic as we discuss toxic relationships. Gaslighting. Nadira, mm-hmm. we've heard that phrase. Sometimes I believe it's misappropriated. What exactly is gaslighting and some prime examples of perhaps people are being gaslit and they don't even know it. Yeah. And so, yeah, so gaslighting is another one of those terms that has just got super, super popular um, and people hear it all the time. And so it's not even actually like a, a clinical term. Like, you know, people use it because it's so popular. And so therapists, you know, will will use it, but it's not um, it's not a clinical term. But overall, it, it means like intentionally treating someone in such a way that you make them de- deny or doubt their reality. So like, you know, if like, you know, if I'm in a relationship and I'm like, what's going on? Like, I saw you with someone, so I know you're cheating on me. And they try to be like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I wasn't cheating on you. I saw you kissing that girl. I don't know what you're talking about. You're probably seeing things. You know, that's that's more of a extreme example. People would be less likely to do that. But um, a more common one would be, let's say you bring up an issue, something that's been consistently going wrong in a relationship, and they just try to flip it on you. So rather than mm. having accountability and saying, yeah, you know, I did do that thing where I need to work on it, they say, oh, my God, why are you just so sensitive? You just flip out over every little thing. And then after mm. a while, you're like, well, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe I am just being sensitive. Okay, so I, I need to just stop being sensitive. So, like, now you've, you've switched your reality, even though before this this thing was a specific issue that kept coming up. But because they're denying it, it makes you start to deny mm-hmm. it. Well, maybe I'm just overreacting, or maybe I did just imagine it, or maybe I'm expecting too much. And so the goal of it is just to get the attention from whatever's going wrong with the other person and try to flip it back onto you. Now, is that a form of emotional abuse, gaslighting? Yes. Yes, it absolutely is, Um, especially when it's done consistently over time. That's absolutely because it's going to you do that over time, like the person is going to doubt their ability to trust themselves. Oh, wow. And so whereas at first they're going to be like, hey, I don't like the way that you're treating me. I don't like the way that you're doing this. But because every time you brought it up, they made it seem like, well, you were crazy or you were imagining it or you know, your girls are just getting in your head. So now you can't trust yourself. So now something else is going wrong. But you're like, well, this doesn't feel right. And I don't mm-hmm. like it. But, but I know I'm just sensitive. And I know that I just, I blow things up or I make it a big deal. So like your ability, your relationship with your own self is suffering. That's definitely abuse. It's kind of like the Jedi mind trick. I'm going to try to convince you of what mm-hmm. I'm not doing and putting it all on you. If somebody's being gaslit, what are some steps that you would give them to either address the situation or worst case scenario? If the person just ain't trying to hear what you got to say, learning to walk away. Because for some people, that's so difficult. They're, they're either so in love or indebted to someone mm-hmm. or so loyal. And mm-hmm. even in families that aren't even, you know, necessarily romantic relationships, you feel this undying loyalty. I can't do that. That's my family. But gaslighting, that's something serious. Yeah, yeah. And so usually, like, if a person is starting to recognize, hey, anytime I try to hold this other person accountable or I bring some type of issue to them, they can never recognize it. And they always flip, always or most of the time, flip it back on me. So they're never able to say, you're right. I did that. I need to correct that. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm going to do better. If you're not able to get any of that type of language out of the other person, then it probably is better for you to either leave if you can or just really limit your interactions with that person, knowing that full accountability is not something that you're going to get out of them.
So like if it's a, a family member or somebody that you're like, okay, I kind of can't really get rid of them. You might just have to be super boundary when you're with them and mm-hmm. know, okay, if they do something wrong, I can't expect them to apologize or give me what I deserve because that's just not the person that they've shown me to be. So I'm just going to have to mm-hmm. adjust to that. That's if you have to keep this person in your life. But if it's somebody that you're dating and they're not going to do that, you need to just be able to walk away because otherwise you're mm-hmm. just going to continue to be disrespected and you're going to keep expecting something that you're never going to get. And it's so interesting that that you say that. I, I was thinking of a woman I know who felt emotionally de- abused but didn't feel like it was domestic violence. And until she called a domestic violence hotline, because she got to feeling so crazy that she actually mm-hmm. was like, I did not realize that this is domestic violence. Um, that just floors me because I do think we've been trained, Adira, to think domestic violence is when somebody puts their hands on you, you have bruises, but really emotional abuse can be just as harmful and it's a form of domestic violence. Yeah, and and it's just as harmful and it can really stick with you longer because, you know, somebody might hit you in some type of way. Okay, that wound can heal. You give it a couple of weeks. But when somebody like really eats away at your self-concept, you want to carry that into the next relationship. And Mm -hmm. so like usually even that's a sign if somebody's feeling like, well, am I crazy? When you start to have that type of thought, because most people most people are not crazy. And so if you're having Mm -hmm. some type of issue that keeps coming up over and over, but you're being made to feel crazy because the other person won't acknowledge it, that's usually a sign that that person is manipulating you and that you shouldn't Mm. be with them. Mm. Or everything is is your fault. You feel Mm -hmm. like you're the only one doing something wrong. Oh my gosh, that, yeah, definitely harmful. But another form of abuse, and I just learned this term, you know, I've been on my terms this year, Nadir. I'm not a therapist like you, but I've been learning learning some things. Yeah, (laughs) we all should. Yeah, stonewalling. We think of it as Mm -hmm. the silent treatment. And until I started doing some reading, I had no idea that this is a form of emotional abuse. Can you talk about stonewalling? Yeah, yeah. So so stonewalling, um, yeah, is also considered like, you know, the silent treatment. But the deeper thing is that it's cutting that person off. So it's okay. it's not giving them any type of context or clues or whatever is going on with you. And so if you guys are having a tough time, and you're having a conversation and you just stop communicating. So maybe it's you block them, you know, if you're not living in the same house or you just not responding to them at all. And so the damaging part of that is that if I am in a committed relationship with this person like we need each other for regulation you know there's another term co-regulation meaning like the two of us together we're helping each other stay calm and you know feel at peace we need each other for that and we need interaction and so if i start to stonewall and you can't get anything from me i'm not saying anything at all that is damaging because now the other person is left out okay we're already upset but I, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know where you're going. So they're just left to mm. come to their own conclusions in their mind, which probably aren't going to be good because they're already upset, you know, yeah. already dysregulated. And so it's just kind of like um, like a little baby that's crying and they need to be picked up and you just leave the baby there. Like it's not helpful oh, for them because they need something to help them regulate and calm back down. But just ignoring this, making it worse. And so like to do that over to do that consistently Again, that's very abusive because it just eats away at the relationship and it makes it harder for the person to trust 
that they're safe with you and that they're going to get a consistent connection when they reach out to you. So when it's intentional like that, that sounds so very harmful. I would say even more harmful, correct me if I'm wrong, Nadira, than having an all out, you know, we're going to take it, take it, take it to 10 conflict. Mm-hmm. Let's just, if we got to holler, if we got to, you know, get loud for a moment, get emotional just to get it all out to actually just leave somebody feeling mm-hmm. clueless where they don't know where they stand or where you stand. What role does control play in that? Because something is telling me like, a person who intentionally stonewalls, there's a control issue somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it is. Sometimes for other people, it could be that internally, and you might see this in more, we talked about attachment, a person mm-hmm. who has more um, of an attachment, of a what's avoidant attachment style, they may do that just because of what they're feeling internally is feeling so big that like they don't even have the capacity in that moment to acknowledge the other person. So it may look like, okay, you're just cutting me off or you're just ignoring me. But really it could be, oh my gosh, I feel just so flooded internally that mm. like I can't even give you anything else. But if, if okay. that's the case, and you know, this is what we talk about in therapy, asking for what you need. So saying like, okay, we can finish this conversation later, but I'm not in a place to do that. You know, so at least the yeah. person is not um, left totally hanging. But for someone that is doing it for control reasons, Again, that's another type of manipulation because they know that, okay, if I sit here and don't say anything, that's going to really bother you. That's going to break you down. And after a while, you're probably going to be more likely to do what I want you to do or say what I want you to say because you're so desperate for this attachment from me. You want something from me. And so, you know, all I got to do is act like I don't care or ignore you long enough. And then I just have you back in my hand where I want you. But again, that type of person is not anybody that we need to be with long term. And what's interesting is people are in those type of situations and they feel so indebted because they really, really love this person. They're committed. They don't want to walk away. In that Mm -hmm. case, Nadira, how does someone muster up? I mean, I guess that's a question somebody would have to answer for themselves. How do they get the courage to really let something go, particularly if it's a serious relationship like a marriage? But what are some things people could weigh to determine I might need to take that step of separation, even if we come together later? To, yeah. To really yeah. So something, something that I always tell people is some people might say, oh, you know, but but I love him so much or I know he loves me. And that might be absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't dispute that at all. But the love is not as big and as important as we think it is. What is more important is how does your love for me show up in your treatment of me? Like, that's what I really need to be focused on because you might love me to the moon. Like, there are people who they physically beat somebody up. You can give them a lie detector test and say, do you love them? They'll pass the test because they do love them, but they have other issues that are preventing their love from showing up in the relationship. So you may love somebody. That's great. That's fine. And they may love you. But you have to ask yourself, okay, he loves me so much. How does his love show up in his behavior? And if you can say, well, it shows up because... He's very kind to me. Or if he gets upset and he yells at me later, he'll come back and apologize. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not an everyday thing. Oh, OK. His love is showing up. That could be a relationship that you can build on. But if you're asking yourself, OK, how does this person's love show up in their treatment of me? And if you're having trouble answering it or if there's not that much that you can say, then that is a sign that love or not, it's not healthy for me to be here. Mm. And I'm glad you mentioned that cycle because it's easy to go from the bad place 
to back to the good place where you think all is well, then you're back in the sunken place again. And it's mm-hmm. not just a one or two time thing. You're talking about consistent incidents over and over where there's a, a pattern and it doesn't seem like one party's changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always when it's consistent because, you know, the things that happen just here and there every once in a while, maybe you're just having a bad day, you know, maybe something is going on. But again, if you're able to recognize it and then apologize and make real concerted effort to do better, it's not going to have that big of an impact. But if this is just regular ongoing where like, you know, people talk about the cycle of violence where like usually there's going to be the honeymoon period. So, oh, just so sweet and hugs and kisses and mm-hmm. everything's so great. And then after a while that starts to taper off and the tension starts to build and, you know, things aren't feeling as rosy as they were before. And then after a while, that's when, if we're talking about physical violence, that's when the violence comes back. Or maybe if it's verbal abuse, that's when the yelling comes back and the name abuse, the name calling comes back. And then there may be a temporary breakup for the moment. Till after a while, they come back, oh, baby, mm. I'm so sorry. You know, blah, 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 blah. And then it starts over. We're back to the honeymoon period. And that lasts for a while until it tapers off and the tension builds. Like when we're in these types of cycles, that's when it's absolutely unhealthy and you need to just exit stage left. Now, when someone's dealing with a toxic relationship that is emotionally or mentally abusive, it hasn't gotten physical I, there has to be some chance that one day that it could actually escalate to that point. What are your thoughts on that as a therapist? I think there are a lot of chances that it could escalate to that, but don't be the one to sit around and find out. Come on out. now, come on. Like, you know, because yes. if, if, if it's if it gets there or not, like it's really important. Like I always let people know, I always say to my clients, like you're such a big deal. Like everybody should not have access to you. People who have access to you should be the people who have proven over time that they deserve to be in your space and be around you. And so how do they prove that? These are people who are going to be kind, who are going to be considerate of your feelings while you're there in their presence and even when you're away. These are people who speak well of you, who don't let other mm-hmm. people speak badly of you, who aren't sneaky, who you can trust. You know, there's a whole bunch of positive things that you should see in them. Those are the people who deserve to be in your space. So if someone, they may not be hitting you, but if they're just mm-hmm. talking to you reckless, mm-hmm. that they don't deserve to be around you. Yes. And people can't let familiarity become fatal where you're so comfortable. You feel obliged because you've been together for so long. You'd be embarrassed. Yeah. What would other people say? I think there's so much introspection somebody has to do and therapy, which is why we are glad for people like you to get in a healthy place with yourself and realize those relationships that are toxic. You have to let them go to live your best life. Yeah. And like, you know, you mentioned comfort and a lot of us seek comfort. That's just how the human is set up. But sometimes that comfort can really get in the way because like, let's say if I grew up in an environment where it was just normal to see abuse and my parents were just acting crazy and treating each other crazy. And that was what's normal for me. That's Mm -hmm. going to be my comfort in adulthood. And so even though like I may know that this is not a healthy thing, if I'm moving toward what's comfortable, I'm just going to be repeating those same cycles that I saw growing up. So which is why, you know, sometimes people, they might meet, might meet a nice guy and they might say, oh, he's nice. He's sweet. But I, I don't know. It's just not any chemistry. I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's because he literally is a, tri- a guy who's treating you well. and You're just not used to that. Yeah. And so it just it feels uncomfortable. But then you go back to the other person who you have a horrible history with and so up and down. But that feels comfortable because that's what you know. 
Wow. So sometimes, you know, I encourage people that can be a good sign when you meet somebody. If you're used to coming from toxic relationships and you meet somebody and it feels uncomfortable, you might need to lean into that because sometimes that discomfort is just showing, wow, this is just so different from what I'm used to. And that's what you need. Well, Nadir, before we wrap up, give us one final word, sis, on a toxic relationship, getting free and just really finding out where you are. Well, I, I would say if if you feel that you are in a toxic relationship, and usually when I'm thinking in my toxic relationship, that usually means I am. So if, <laughs> if you feel that's yeah. the case and you're making the choice, you have to ask yourself, okay, why am I choosing to continue to stay a part of this relationship? Like, what is it if your overall your needs are not getting met or there's far more bad than good, then it can be helpful to ask yourself, what am I believing about me that's making me stay here? Because sometimes the belief is that, well, I can't, well, this is just how men are. And I can't, you know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. find nobody different. This is just what they do. Or I can't get anybody good. You know, though, that's for other types of women, not me. Sometimes there's a negative belief you're holding about yourself that's keeping you there. So if this person has proven themselves to be abusive, to be a liar, to be untrustworthy, to be all of these different things, and you keep choosing to show up every day with them, you've got to say, hold on, what do I believe about me? that I'm willing to make this choice over and over. So I would just encourage people to ask themselves that question. And then also, um, you know, something I'm, I'm always big on, you know, the, the inner child and connecting with that. So when you think of your younger self, when you think of you at 10 and 12 or whatever, sometimes I even tell people, oh, get a little picture. We got to talk to her. When you think of that version of you, how would she feel if you're in a relationship with somebody? How would she feel to know her future self is with this person? Like, would she be proud? Like, oh, check me out. I got me a good man. Or would she be like, oh, Lord, I'm out there getting abused and cheated on and mistreated. You want to choose somebody that is going to make her proud. And if you're not feeling like your current relationship will feel good and safe for her, you probably don't need to be there. There it is. Nadira Habibullah, licensed family marriage therapist, attachment and trauma therapy as well. I appreciate you, Nadira. And I know we will be talking again. And thank you for everything that you do, pouring into your people and doing it out of the love to see people healthy, healed and whole. Sure. And just last thing. So my uh, my website, the address is changed. So now okay. it's healing tra- healingtraumakc.com. Healingtraumakc.com. Nice to know mm-hmm. that. Well, you out here healing folks, Nadira. That's all that matters. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I can't wait to talk to you again, sis. Thank you, girl. Okay. Bye. Bye, girl. I love me, Sanadira Habibullah. She's always a calming force. She does a holistic, general approach to healing. Make sure you check out her website, HealingTraumaKC.com. Hope that gave you some food for thought as you go into the holidays. You might even see some toxic people over Thanksgiving and Christmas. Pause, pray, proceed, and determine when you're going to exit left. But seriously, as you make your goals for 2024, I implore you to look at the relationships that are feeding you in your life. Relationships are about reciprocity. You just don't need people dumping on you, talking to you any type of way. They should be healthy, where there's an exchange of information, love, and mutual respect and value for one another. And relationships that don't display that, sis, 
I need you to rethink if you're going to take that into another year. Speaking of another year, uh, be praying for me. I'm trying to find some direction on if I continue this podcast in this direction. Do I switch it up? You know, we got a big political year coming. You know I'm going to talk some politics, child. Or do something different altogether. I've enjoyed our conversations and hope you'll re-listen to some of the former ones. Or if you haven't listened, this is your first time. Go back and catch the old episodes. Some of them are a trip, but they were real fun to do. But I just got to see what God would have me to do in the next season. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. So I'm going to take some space to regroup, at least until the first week in January, and see what season that God would have me to walk into. And sis, you do the same in your life with different things as well. We'll catch up with each other, I promise you. And you can always check me out weekdays on KPRS Hot 103 Jams from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. Listen online at kprs.com or download our mobile app. Enjoy your holiday season. Let's reset, recharge, and get ready for 2024. Music Alpha Music Library, Property Carter Broadcast Group.